Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, because the gang is back together again, by my, by my brother, Ryan, and my man, Philip Russell. Ryan, fill the viewers in on how you're doing. I cannot tell you how many DMs and emails and MySpace pings and AIM messages I got asking where you were, how you were doing. It was two episodes in a row, man. We were getting worried about you. Man, you really know how to make a guy feel pretty. It was, you know, I'm I'm good, man. I uh, had to go on a couple work trips, uh, but we're here. We're making it. I missed you guys. I uh, as much as I loved being on a charter bus with 50 college students, uh, you know, I, I did in fact miss recording the pod with you. But I'm happy to be back, and uh, I'm sure that there were some who uh, preyed on my downfall who were glad to see me gone. But those haters, I'm back, baby. I'm back yes the created narrative we all love when we do that one uh philip how are you i want to do a little personal life check-in last week you checked in on me after my cats uh broke my heart ryan wasn't here to mourn with me i want to do a little life check-in on you as you are three weeks away from a due date i believe yeah so sarah my wife is due on april 20th or 20 yeah Sorry. No epidural. She's just going to light up a blunt in the little, hospital Little bed. Blaze Russell on the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Meter. Yeah. So we're uh, three, four weeks away from our due date. It's March 27th as we're recording. So we're getting very excited. We officially, officially finished the nursery yesterday. There are curtains hung in there to make it nice and dark for baby girl to get some shut eye during the day, as apparently babies are wont to do. So we're, mm. uh, we're moseying right along towards that due date, man. And... And as we're moseying along towards that due date, we're obviously getting very excited for that. We had a really exciting week of basketball to watch. Every game bringing some excitement. So I'm excited to chop it up with you two and uh, get into some fun sons basketball. I didn't want to make it uh, a conversation piece, but I went back and looked week by week, kind of at the game slate that we've had for every episode. I don't think we've had a week of podcast week, at least of basketball as good as this one all year. Uh, so no, we're, we're excited to talk about it. And if you are new here, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we are into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the bright side podcast network. So feel free to go show them some love. You can subscribe on any podcast channel out there and can find us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. But now that that is out of the way, we can talk about what we actually came here to talk about. And that is some basketball, uh, Gentlemen, the Phoenix Suns, in one of the most exciting weeks of basketball I can remember in a while, went 3-0, and starting it off with what I was scared to be a very unfortunate start of the week, which was a three-point overtime win against the Kings on Sunday night. That game was fun, man. Philip and I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, were hanging out Sunday night or chatting Sunday night. Um, no, we were hanging out. We were having dinner with some friends. And we were keeping up with the score. I couldn't watch live. And typically, if I can't watch live, I'll say, you know what? That's fine. Basketball doesn't take over everything. I'll watch it tomorrow. Every game gets taped. I saw the result of that game. I went home that night and started it at 1030. And I stayed up on a Sunday night and I watched that whole thing. It was fun. We're going to touch more on these later. Uh, follow that up with. I don't remember one of you guys mentioned it might've been one of your favorites of the year. Suns beating the T-Wolves 125 to 116, an absolute insane game. 
and then close it out 140-130 against the Nuggets in one of the most historically efficient nights of shooting the NBA has ever seen. Uh, so, guys, we had three great games to talk about, all pretty different, all had various different levels of crazy emotions and energy, but not one point of kind of slipping up. It was just hit after hit after hit. Uh, so I'll, I, let's go ahead and start it this way. Out of the three games this week, which one was your favorite? Ryan, I'll go with you first. Yeah, for me, it was it was the uh, the Timberwolves game. There was just an edge to Booker that night that felt super cool. Uh, I feel like a lot of times Booker has been known as this guy who kind of just keeps his head down. He doesn't let the outside noise get to him that much. Uh, and I think the Minnesota game, we saw the noise finally get to a point where Booker was able to speak on it. Uh, and it was him talking back to a fan. It was him talking, dunking on one of his closest friends in the league and talking to him after the dunk and then getting teed up for it. Like we are seeing this edge to Booker that we haven't really seen before. And we're seeing him step into that edge too, even in some of these post-game conferences where he's like, I do deserve to be talked about for MVP. Monty should be the coach. And a lot of these times Devin is about his business and he just wants to let the game speak for itself. But this week, I don't know if it was clinching the one seed, if, if it was just them coming into their confidence, but this edgy Booker is fun, man. And I know he doesn't like to be compared to Kobe. He likes to look up to Kobe, but this felt like a Kobe week from book. And I loved every second of it. And the Timberwolves game was the pinnacle of that. Yeah. And both the, both the teams during the T-Wolves game seemed like they didn't adjust well to the physicality of the game. The game was really physical from the jump. And it seemed like neither team adjusted to the way the game was being called. So there was a lot of arguing with officials, jawing back and forth that made for just an electric atmosphere, which I thought the Wolves played really well that game. And then the Suns took over down the stretch. So that was a, that was a really fun game. Weirdly enough, I adored the Kings game last Sunday night. I, because primarily because I was really impressed with the not superstars on the Suns. So going back to our kind of our mini pick and roll series that we did down the stretch of that game, the Kings were dedicated to blitzing Booker, which basically says, okay, other four Phoenix Suns on the court, you guys are the ones who have to beat us. It's not going to be Devin Booker who's going to beat us. And the Suns were executing really well down the stretch. And then even when DA fouled out, Booker fouled out, JaVale fouled out. The execution was still there with Landry getting that look in the corner under a minute to go in overtime to go from down one to up two. And then the Suns never relinquished the lead after that. That that game showed how deep the Suns are, not just talent-wise, but execution-wise. That even when key components are missing, they can still run really good sets to get good looks against a team that was playing pretty well in the Kings. And speaking to that, I think uh, of the three of us, I've been the most publicly harsh on Landry. Uh, and I think I owe him an apology after the last week and a half. It does look like he has found his rhythm. And if you haven't been keeping up with what was going on against Minnesota, he had 19 points on six of 10 shooting. And in that Sacramento game where he was really kind of mm. one of the key players and, and really won it for us, he was 21 points on seven, 11, five of nine from three. So shout out to Landry for getting it figured out right when he, when he needs to, because here we are at the end of the season. I believe there's only eight regular season games left. 
uh, and the dude looks locked in again. And that's really exciting as we're looking forward to these playoff series that are coming in just a week or two It's at this point. Yeah, and, and I want to touch on something both you guys said in the separate games. Going to the Kings game first, just kind of thinking chronologically here, the thing that jumped out to me was Landry's big shot. Like that, that is one of those shots that I think sticks in your head come playoff time. And if you're looking at the entire team, looking up and down the bench, like they wanted it to go in just as much as he did in the sense of not just winning that game, but giving Landry that, that vote of confidence of, Hey, we're drawing up this play for you. And he just delivered over and over again. I love to see it. I I also thought a shining star between those two games was McHale who played in those two alone, 89 minutes of basketball in the Kings game. He went for a, if this makes sense, a quiet 27. Uh, It was one of those ones where you kind of just realize, Oh, he, he scored again. Okay. He's continuing to drive those long arms on those sneaky reverses those great kind of get to the corner, get him on your back. Like he is developing, in my opinion, his own bag, if you will, to where he is now having an offensive skill set that he can rely on night after night, which I love to see. And then the Timberwolves game was, was great. Like that was just fun, high level basketball. And I agree, Phil, I thought the Timberwolves played really well. I think the Kings game would have been talked about differently if the refs hadn't had the impact they did, and I'm going to be honest with you, you can be upset about it however much you want, but at the end of the day, I think it says even more about the Suns that they did just keep their head down and deliver like on a night where a lot of things could have kept you from winning that game. But the T-Wolves game is great for me because I not only view that as just two good teams, it's also, hey, this could be a 1-8 matchup. This could be, this is the caliber of team that's hovering down there in the 7-8-9-10 world. Um, where you know you you are going to get a fight put up against you. And so you add in the extra layers, and Ryan, I think, mentioned already, Booker's playing against two of his best friends. The crowd is insane. Towns is jawing early after the dunk on Jay. We get early tees. We get more tees later. Then Book ends up just going to another level, Ryan, like you said. Like he just he just said, okay, this is fun. And someone tweeted it out. It was like after the scuffle and after the Carl Tech and all that stuff, Book just looked like he was having fun. Like he didn't look engaged in like a serious, angry way. It was like he was chuckling about how amusing it was. Everything was happening around him. And he just flipped a switch and said, all right, I guess I should go ahead and and do my thing. And the one player we've hardly talked about, DeAndre Ayton goes for a career high 35. Continuing this line of if you put a big name center in front of DeAndre Ayton, he would like to show you why he deserves a lot of money, right? Like he has performed very well in a lot of these kind of big name games against some guy that in his mind, I think he views as I'm one of them. And, and he, he put on a show, man. It was, it was great. Um, and then going to the Nuggets game, I want to start before I go into my my little mini rant about just how incredibly efficient that game was offensively. How did you guys feel seeing the news that Chris Paul was coming back and then also seeing him back on the floor? Uh, Cause I felt pretty surprised, honestly, when I saw the first bit of news of, Hey, he's, he's back. We're not easing him in. Like he's going. And then seeing him perform at the level he did 
Philip, what was kind of your brain's processing of everything Chris Paul this week? It made me want to go vegan. Okay. That was pretty much, that's pretty much it. Like, it's amazing that he bounced <laughs> back like that. Like, how do you, how do you break only, your, how that do, was it. That was my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> because we, I think all of us expected CP to be back at some point uh, before the playoffs started. That was the reporting that had, that had come out. And there was optimism that he was going to be back with a little bit of a run up or a ramp up, excuse me, to, uh, to the playoffs. But when he gets back that early, it's like, oh, it's got to be in all the leafy greens that guy's been eating. To me, one of the things that stood out was it was just a reminder that I should never presume to know the medical scenarios for this these guys, because I think everybody has opinions. Well, is, is he coming back too soon? Is this putting anything at risk? Like these guys are working with some of the best doctors in the world. And part of me was like, should we just like hold on and, and sit on him for a little bit? Like we don't need him right now. But then the dude comes back and drops, what was it, 17 and 10? Yeah, I was going to say, so so Paul's stat line for the night, he had 17 points, 13 assists, four rebounds. And he ended up, and this is what, I was more concerned about this than anything. He shot six of 10 and one of three from three. And that was my big question mark. Not as much his health moving up and down the floor or even just seeing the passing lanes, the stuff that I'm convinced he was doing from the womb. It was, how is he going to look shooting the basketball? Because we have now seen him, not that long ago in the playoffs of last year, shoot the basketball in a way that does not look natural. And it looked normal. It looked like this wasn't a, hey, I'm testing the waters. To Ryan's point, I'm guessing he's been probably putting in the minutes in practice. The guys have been talking about how normal he's looked. He's been overanalyzing here. He's been giving like strong right-handed right high fives on the bench recently, like in the weeks leading where I was like, you've really been breaking down the film. Well, the thing, it's a shooting hand. Like I'm going high fives look. Well, he's always so like predominantly shown on the bench and the guys are coming off and he's just slapping around. Right. You don't see any like shine away. Like he seemed very normal in warmups, which he started doing again looked pretty normal some of the folks at practice have been releasing stuff like it looked like he's been ready for a little bit so I don't feel rushed even if it didn't line up with the initial timeline Uh, but he shot the ball confidently I liked that he was willing to shoot a couple threes just for me to visually see that the form looks the way it should Um, but I was I was pretty happy in terms of the minutes Philip I know we've talked the one seed is now clinched he put in 30 minutes in his first game back do you think we're going to see, I, I don't know, like with the one seed clinch, do we think the rotation is going to start getting a little weird? Do we think Monty's going to try to rest the guys who have many of which spoken about not liking being rested at all? Uh, what do you think we're going to see for the next, I mean, what, couple weeks? Last season, I think Monty sat the guys for two games. Definitely the the Etwan Moore game, for those of you, that's a little bit of a deep cut for, for Suns fans. If you remember his game winner against San Antonio, I don't, I don't think they're going to rest significantly. What you might not see is like an early Booker entrance in the fourth. Instead of him coming back with eight and a half, nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you might see Monty wait until the under seven TV timeout. You might not see CP3 coming back in. At the end of the second quarter, like he does sometimes, or even at the end of the game, if it's a seven to 11 point game. So I don't think there are going to be dramatic changes to the rotations, but I think you could see Monty playing with it just a little bit. Yeah. And even just the minutes this week, I thought it was interesting. The Kings game, 
And again, you don't, you don't know it's going to overtime. And obviously the foul outs had a, something to do with it, but just in terms of guys on the bench, Shamit didn't start holiday. Didn't start Craig didn't start. And they went 31, 23 and 31 minutes wise. There was another 17 on there. Like those minutes were pretty well shaken up against the Kings, maybe in a game that they thought they could take care of, even with a bit more of a dispersed minutes. Um, the Nuggets game, on the other hand, though, uh, those starters were playing. And it goes back to something that I wanted to touch on. That game was one of the most ridiculous games I've ever watched in terms of just shooting efficiency. And it makes sense why he would have kept the guys in that were in. And that's just because everyone was feeling themselves. Uh, I I went deep diving in the old the old stats here. Cause I was intrigued when I saw the final shooting numbers for both games. And I know I shared this with you guys before. Um, and if you follow us on Twitter, maybe you saw this, but the Suns and nuggets both shot 59% or more from the field and 46% from three or more. The last time this happened in this, I'm not great at finding the old stats here, but the last time I found it was in December of 2007 that's the last time two teams shot those numbers from the field in three. And this is the craziest part. In that game, there were only 22 threes attempted. In our game, there were 59. So not only did they hit those incredible numbers, they did it at a much higher volume in the much more difficult shot. Um, and just for those wondering, that game was a Jazz Nuggets game, I believe. That included Darren Williams, or was it Jazz Nuggets? Jazz Mavs. I think it was Jazz Mavs because it was Darren Williams and Josh Howard both dropping over 40 and the majority of guys that contributed to those like 22 threes were like two of three one of two like it was so funny just looking at a box score back from 15 years ago and seeing how different it looks from now uh but the fact that the Suns were able to I don't know that we could probably talk about the defense in that game it wasn't overwhelming if you will but it's still impressive to hit that many shots, let alone from both sides. Um, I had a question for you guys after coming off, no offense to the Kings, sorry Kings, but coming off of the Wolves game and the Nuggets game, right now, I think, unless something's changed since since I looked last, the Nuggets are the sixth seed and the Wolves are the seventh seed. So these are two teams that, based on how the next couple of weeks could go, could be playing tournament teams, which is kind of crazy to me. Out of those two teams, which one scared you more this week? I think the Wolves for me. Me too. And Not I the think the one with the MVP candidate. Yeah. They they showed an interesting look, and maybe earlier this season they did something really similar, but they kept Cat out on the perimeter a lot that game and then let Vanderbilt go to work down low, and he was really good. He was good at finding open space. He was good at maneuvering off their, their guards' drives. I thought their guards as disliked as Pat Bev probably is, D'Angelo, and some of their backups, I think McDaniels. They did a good job, especially early in the game, getting downhill and then either dumping off to Vanderbilt or putting up the uh, the classic campaign to JaVale floaters where you know Cam's probably going to miss, but JaVale's going to be the only one under the basket. They, they looked really good, but I will say even a little bit bigger picture than that, I would prefer the Wolves or Nuggets over the Clippers. True. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the end of the Valley brand. We want the not Los Angeles Clippers. Give, yep. give the Suns pretty much anybody except them. 
because of how well they can match up and because of some of the noise surrounding PG and Kawhi. No, I, I agree. Ryan, between, between those two, which one scared you a little more, a little bit more? I, I'm, I'm with you guys. It, it's the Wolves, and it goes back to a conversation that we had um, a couple weeks back. And, and it's if you take Jokic out, I just don't think that the Nuggets have as many people who can beat you. And it seems like this Wolves team has, have, has a few guys who on a given night could do some real damage. And they have guys who are just really good at getting under our guy's skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the playoffs, those tensions run high. Um, and so I'd be, I'd be more worried about the Wolves just from that perspective. Anthony Edwards was also not much of a factor besides one really exciting missed layup. I think he got fouled on you worry in the playoffs about a guy like that, because when the game breaks down and he just gets to go one-on-one at someone, he has that kind of explosive capability on top of D'Angelo and cat. So you have D'Angelo cat and Anthony who can, who can just get buckets for the wolves. I think they're a little bit deeper, even scoring wise than the nuggets. I agree. And and that's it. A lot of that comes down to that for me too. I think in the playoffs, weird things happen. Uh, now, not every series is the Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, where they just take turns dropping 50. But I think there's this weird thing in the playoffs where a player can randomly hit 50 on you or couldn't do that. And I think the Wolves have three dudes who could just randomly drop 50 on you. And the Nuggets, to Ryan's point, without Jokic, I'm just not scared of, of what they can throw at you. Um, and obviously, I don't wish on Jokic, I hope he's healthy. I hope he's still a part of it. But I think if you do a pretty good job keeping him in check, you can pretty well manage the rest. Um, but it was just interesting. I mean, those were those were tough fought games against talented teams that are sitting at six and seven, right? Um, and as I look a little bit above the six mark, looking up the four and the five seed, and then even those fighting to get in the playing game, it's it's an interesting dynamic in the West where it seems like there's a pretty clear top three and then a little bit of a drop. And I don't know, the jazz are weird, man. The jazz, sometimes I watch them and and I say, they're absolutely one of these top three in the West teams. But as Memphis continues to do what they do, you got to give them credit for what they've done, whether you, you trust those young guys in a playoff series quite yet or not. Um, but it was a it was a great week of basketball for the Suns. A uh, lot of different guys stepped up, like we said. Da with a career high. Mikhail with some incredibly big games. Shamit with one of his, I think, signature moments now as a Sun. If he ends up being here for a while, I think it was a game that he will remember and the Suns fan base will remember. Um, but anything else from this week, guys? I know there's a lot of good stuff happening and a lot of bright moments. We haven't even hardly talked about Booker dropping forty nine. I mean. That's I think that's the sign of how good of a week it was when Booker dropping 49 was like our footnote that we wanted to make sure we threw in there um, alongside of just a lot of a lot of players stepping up. Uh, anything else to add, guys, kind of wrap up this week? All right. Well, we typically pivot to how we close most of our episodes, which are our highs, our lows and our just so you knows. And if you are uh, a new listener, hopefully you'll, you'll come back for that some other episode. We're going to do things a little differently today, uh, but we just wanted to take a little bit of time to hopefully have a well-reasoned, 
argument, if you want to even call it that, and more of a discussion about one of the biggest topics going on in NBA media as a whole, uh, specifically Suns media, but I think the media in general, even from the ESPNs of the world, have talked about it enough that it's it's worth bringing up, and that is the Devin Booker MVP case. Whether that is former players such as Isaiah Thomas feeling the need to step in, whether that's young up-and-comers like John Morant getting their votes in or their opinion out there on Twitter, uh, the Devin Booker MVP steam has picked up significantly over the last week. Uh, it's been in hushed tones in certain corners, but it's really, really picked up this week. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us some credit. When the Chris Paul injury happened, we had a pretty long talk about what do we see happening in his absence? What do these next eight weeks look like? And, and I think Ryan brought it up, and I think we all kind of agreed there's a good chance Booker really makes an MVP case. And, and I think realistically, none of us thought the amount of time left in the season would allow for enough momentum to actually get on the podium to win an award, but to at least get his name into conversation. So we've seen strong takes from the fan base one way or another. And I just wanted to go ahead and kind of just, just open floor this one. Um, Philip, I'll kind of turn it over to you first. Um, just in terms of Devin Booker in the MVP award. I'm not going to share too much myself because I think the more I thought about it, the the more I was frustrated with the system rather than the, the people within it. Uh, so I'll save that. I don't want to get us too sidetracked. But when you kind of looked at the discourse that's been going on, where did your mind kind of go? So I went, I went to, to an idea about how the MVP is actually selected each year. And I think there are three basic categories of MVPs. You're the first category. I, I was legitimately, I thought you were going to make the joke and quote the categories that lady said on ESPN. Oh, no, no, no. no. The, I'm not the general. The general feel. I'm the not basketball. Not. Uh, emotional intelligence. Oh, man. Hey man, when that, I got a when I got a craft uh, an argument, the the trolley vibe that I can sometimes gives off usually goes you. out the window. I feel you. Go ahead. All right, category number one: Is there someone who has had a statistically absurd year compared to other people? I know this is a hot topic, but think Russell Westbrook, 2016, 2017. His stats that year numerically were unbelievable. Sidebar: So were James Harden's that year. Another one that falls into that category, 2015-16, Wardell Stephen Curry, 50-45-90 on high volume. 2013-2014, Kevin Durant, great MVP speech. That's when he gave his mom, you're the real MVP. So that's one category, statistically absurd. The other one that I think is more common, is there someone whose team is really good and they themselves had an excellent year near the top of the statistics. Both of Giannis's MVPs fall into this category. 17-18 Harden falls into this category. Steph's 15-16, he was statistically unbelievable, and his team was really good. I would say 2012-13 LeBron James, that's the idea. What you that, well, I was going to say that category should ring true for Suns fans because that's also 05-06 Steve Nash. Yes. Right? Because people love to kind of slam on them when they look at the numbers from a quote MVP season. But I think that category should ring true for Suns fans and we'll come back up later, probably yeah. as someone who brought a whole lot to the table on a team that just performed on another level. 
So category number one, statistically absurd. Category number two, really good team, top-notch stats. Category number three, is there someone who didn't necessarily have the flashiest of stats, but led an unbelievable team? And this is the historical comp for Devin Booker's case. 2014-2015, Steph Curry. This is the historical case for that. Not the best stats, but notably the best team. So that year, Steph went 23, 24, 4.3, and 7.7. So 24 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists. James Harden that year went 27, 5.5, and and 7. And LeBron went 25, 6, 7.5. And And then Westbrook, that was the year that KD missed a good bit of time. He went 28, 7, and and 8.5. Okay, so you look at that and you go, okay, Steph didn't have a bad year. He was up near the top of the league in scoring. His shooting was obviously prolific that year. But those other guys had better statistical categories. So what was it that set Steph Curry apart? Well, the Warriors finished 11 games ahead of the Rockets, 14 games ahead of the Cavs, 22 games ahead of the Thunder. So then you bring that into this year. Booker currently is at 26, 5 and 5, basically. He's 26, 5 and 5. And then the big three who he's dealing with Embiid, a shade under 30, 11 and 4. Giannis, a shade under 30, 11 and a half, and just under six. And Jokic, 26, 13 and a half, and eight, basically. So they have notably better stats, but the 76ers are 13 and a half games back. The Bucks are 14 games back, and the Nuggets are 16 and a half games back currently of the Suns. So here's the question, and here's basically the question that answers whether or not Devin Booker is the league MVP this year. Is the gap between the Suns and the Bucks, 76ers, and Nuggets great enough to make up the gap between Booker's stats and those other three guys' stats? And the way you answer that question is how you answer which category your MVP is going to come from. Because Giannis Embiid and Jokic, I think it's just kind of a coin flip between those three. You can't really go wrong. But if you say, yes, we need to honor how great the Suns have been, like we honored how great the Warriors were back in 14-15, giving Steph his first MVP, then you can make a historically sound argument for Devin Booker being the MVP of the league. I mean... It's an interesting question trying to judge the gap between the Suns and those other teams because the Suns right now I don't think are talked about the way that those Warriors ever were. Even if they end up with just a couple games behind them, right? Like I think because of the superstar power that is only attributed to a handful of players every few years, the Warriors happen to have one of those guys almost a second and then eventually definitely a third, right? It's it's interesting to think about that and try to determine, I mean, like, because in terms of the stats, Booker's not going to get the rebounds those other three are getting, right? The positional difference alone speaks to that. 
And in terms of points, you're looking at the difference of, of, of two extra layups, right? Like that's not, but I mean, Steve, poor Steve Nash. I don't mean to rag on one of my favorite players of all time, but like his MVP season, I got to look this up. I'm pretty sure he had like 14 or 15 points a game. It was something where it was incredibly drastic different from what you typically would see from an MVP. Uh, sorry, 18, 18.8 points, 10.5 assists and four rebounds. That does not scream MVP season. I think your comp of the Steph Curry year and Booker is great. For you, non, not Suns fan here, doesn't have the bias that I think we're seeing from a lot of those making arguments. When you look at the own, your own case that you have built, what do you think in terms of, of your MVP conclusion? It, it's hard to, to tease it apart because I would say historically, historically, because Giannis or Embiid are likely to, likely to wind up on the first place team in the East, just being able to say that, like we were the one seed in our conference, I think carries enough weight to get them the nod over Booker, I think. So historically, remember that second category of someone who had statistically, they were at the top of the league and they had a really good team. I think being like one or two in your conference is enough to give them the edge over Booker. But I, I went into this exercise thinking there's no real argument to be made about, about Booker for MVP. But then as I was categorizing or cataloging the different MVPs, I was like, it's the Warriors. It's Steps first, first one. And it makes a lot of sense because it was the team, the Warriors and the beautiful brand of basketball that they played that was nearly unstoppable. That year they went 67 and 15, which is attainable for the Suns this year. Steph and Clay and Draymond and Iggy and all those guys, they were just tearing hearts out of out of people and just steamrolling through the regular season. And it's so similar to what the Suns have done this year with someone who is unquestionably in Booker at the top of the league skill set wise in his ability. He just doesn't have the statistical acumen to back it up like these other guys do. Well, I think part of that too, well, two things. One, you mentioned the two guys vying for first seed in the East. What I think is interesting is that Jokic is the one that seems to be the odds on favorite. And I think part of that, I guess, goes down to his just efficiency scoring. I think that's where people look to kind of lean his way. And then also the weight he's carrying, given his supporting cast, uh, which, again, we just keep bringing in new measurements. Uh, but going back to what you were saying, I'd be interested to see if Paul wasn't injured, what Booker's numbers would have looked like. Because I know it's not a, he didn't have a massive spike, but he's definitely had the ability to do more. And I wonder if, because his superstar pairing, if you will, is with another guy that takes from his same roles and responsibilities, if that's a detriment, because although Clay and Steph were both guards, there was a, there was a distinguishable gap in the roles and responsibilities within that offense uh, where Steph still was, and I mean, Dre kind of was too, the creator, the focus, the the guy, right? And Booker and Paul, it seems that the world still doesn't know who the guy is. Yeah. Here's, here's, I 
talked around the answer to the question that you asked. So I'll give a more straightforward answer. If, if I had an MVP vote, vote right now, my final three would be Embiid, Giannis, and Booker. I'm fine with that. Like, I think, I think it's, it's funny how, I don't know. And we can get, we don't want to go way too down deep. Ryan, before I go on my tangent, do you have any thoughts kind of after here in Phillips case, what kind of you thinking on that? Well, I think, yeah, I think Phillips ability to narrow it down to those three is kind of where I fall. I don't necessarily personally, I wholeheartedly believe Booker deserves to be in the conversation. I don't think there's any way around that. I think there is no argument that could be presented that doesn't put him in the running to at least be considered for MVP if you're coming at it in good faith. Um, I think some of what hurts Booker comes to the nuance of the way people talk about the Suns and understand the Suns. Coming back to the point you made, is it Chris Paul's team? Because everybody seems to think that this is Chris Paul's team when Chris Paul was very vocal that he was coming to play with Booker. And it seems by all, all signs point to it being Booker's team and for the future Booker's team. I also think Booker just doesn't have the clout uh, amongst his peers and in the media discussion, the way that guys like Giannis and LeBron and Steph have had. And some of that is the market that the Phoenix Suns are in. So there's a lot of other parts that factor into that, that I think will hurt him. So I definitely think he deserves to be considered in the discussion. I think the better chance of him getting recognition will be first team all NBA. Um, I I I think he has a better case for that. Um, I think personally that that Steph is probably a lock for one of the guard spots. I think for the same reason that Jokic is probably likely to get the MVP is the reason Steph is likely to get that guard spot the way he has carried the Warriors in so many ways this season. And you have one more guard spot for that first team all NBA that I think boils down to book CP3, Jaw, or DeMar DeRozan. Uh, and I think between those four, each four have a, have a pretty good argument. I think personally, Book has the best argument, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Ja Morant. Um, you know, I was just looking at his numbers, and I've got him right here. Ja this season averaging 27.5, and 6.5, leading this Grizzlies team to just blowing everybody's expectations out of the water, having them as high as they are. Uh, as much as I want Booker to get that MVP nod, I don't think there's a chance in the world, but I think we as Suns fans and Devin Booker would rest comfortably knowing he got that first team all NBA. And I think we could all be content with that, but that's kind of where I fall again. Yeah. I think there's a whole lot of factors at play more than just the, the, you know, historical arguments for it, but I, I I'm with Philip. I think he deserves to be in that top three and I think he'll get votes, which will be awesome. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a weird nuanced argument because I think, the criteria for the award isn't well set. Like there's not a a list of this is what the MVP is. And people joke like, well, if it's just stats, make it most outstanding player. Well, some years it is right. Some years it can be, some can be more valuable. Uh, I also think, and I was, I was thinking about this earlier, was getting ready to talk about it. If, Chris Paul wasn't on the Suns and let's say campaign was the starting point guard and he was averaging 15 and 10, right? I think Devin Booker, the MVP is a, a very real possibility. I think if it was camp because Chris Paul right now is averaging 15 and 10, I think like four or five rebounds and obviously a steal or so, but like if that was campaign doing it, you would look at the Suns and say, 
this is Devin Booker, the stars team that he has brought to such incredible heights and levels of success. Now, again, let's be realistic without Chris Paul being there. I don't think any of this is happening and I'd much rather the team success than the individual success. Uh, But it does just make you realize it seems that voters go differently every time. I think we've seen it change over the years. Uh, We saw Derek Rose keep LeBron from a five peat that yeah, Philip as a Bulls fan probably enjoyed me as a fan of things that make sense, did not enjoy it. Uh, right. Like it's a moving target. And right now it seems like the fad is the bigs that put up crazy numbers because they are different from what we've seen before at that position. Right. Even, even the guys we're talking about are these, they're not traditional fives. These aren't Dwight Howard for MVP type fives. These are bigs that can take it. They can pass, they can shoot from range Uh, defensively, all three of them, like Jokic has made big strides in my opinion on the defensive end Embiid's a monster. Giannis is a monster, right? And that's not even talking about Booker's defensive strides on his own, but it seems like that brand of basketball, that stylish form of play is what's in right now. And it would have taken a DeMar averaging 33 points a game to be like, oh, maybe this guy could be our MVP, right? Like, I just, I didn't see any world where it wasn't going to go to one of those three. And it's been that way for almost the entire season, which makes you think, huh, are we analyzing this as a new season or is there some weird carryover that's going on? Uh, And I I don't know. I really don't. I just want to reiterate your point about the criteria shifting from year to year, I think that's okay because I think what the MVP does at times is it can tell the story of the season, even going back to the 16-17 season with Russell Westbrook. That story, the story that year, was Kevin Durant going to the Warriors and Kevin Durant leaving OKC where he and Russ had been such a dynamic duo. And Russ goes around, messes around, and averages a triple-double and carries his team into the playoffs. That's wild that he was able to do that. The next season with James Harden, he had, he was 35 and a half and nine, basically. But they went out, the Rockets that season, and were first in the West. And they took the, that throne, if you will, from the Warriors. So I think we should give, give the voters some space to consider not just how they voted last season, not just what the history says, but for them to think about what is the story of this particular season? And again, if they think about the story of this season in the NBA, you cannot tell that story without telling about how the Phoenix Suns have been the dominant force wire to wire. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like, I feel like we've all said similar things to some end. Uh, it's an award that I don't know if it's very rare when there's a year where there's just a yes this is it. This makes sense. Cause even going back to what you said, when Russ won it, Harden felt like he got chipped and made that very clear. Like there's, there are great players every year that put up great seasons yet aren't the one. I think it's okay if that's what Devin Booker is this year. And again, looking more big picture here, I think Devin Booker would take a shot at the finals over an MVP season. And so for the fan base as a whole, in my humble opinion, I think it's one of those things. It's interesting to talk about, and it's great to have a player of that caliber, 
but it's not anything to get worked up over, right? Like if the players themselves don't quite understand how it all works, I definitely don't think we're going to figure it out either. Um, but as we, we kind of bring this one to an end here, guys, we're, we're running a bit long. Anything else to add to the uh, Booker for MVP before we call it a day? Monty Williams for coach of the year. That I mean, look, I can be reasoned and level-headed about book for MVP. If, if Monty somehow doesn't win coach of the year. He won't. You heard it here first. He will not win coach of the year. I will, I will riot that I don't even, let's not even go down there. It's yeah. great though. So, <laughs> I just had to love a little grenade in there before. Yeah. We this kind of stuff is fun. And, and I enjoyed digging into it. It was, it was kind of fun to go back. I did the last decade and then I did 11 years so I could write about Derek Rose beating out LeBron for that, for that MVP. But this weekend basketball should also be really good for the Suns. So we're recording before the 76ers game today on Sunday, Wednesday, we're at Golden State, Friday, we're at Memphis. And then next Sunday, when we're going to be recording again, we'll play OKC, but another three, three games against really good teams. So it should be another entertaining week of Phoenix Suns basketball. Should be pretty telling too, to see what changes are or are not made with the one seed locked up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what, it's what home it's home court for the whole playoffs, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. So whew, we had, we had that in the finals last year. Uh, why are you ending on a negative note after a great because i was a great weekend there. a great discussion because i was, we ruined it because i was in milwaukee for game three and i ruined it for everybody i was gonna say homie i just made a i made a very reasonable strong case for your best one of your favorite players for mvp and your company like yo we lost the finals enjoy the moment ethan be in You're the right. present moment thank you i needed that You're this welcome. is like this is like me talking to you after the bulls game last week <laughs> i appreciate you true no. it all comes back <laughs> well if you guys are still here sticking around with us we appreciate you uh like philip said we drop episodes on mondays so we'll have some great new stuff to talk about come next week but if you have any questions, you have any thoughts on what was said, you have some take that we haven't considered when it comes to our MVP, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at the Valley PHX. You can also find all of our personal Twitter handles there. Uh, and again, check us out, Brightside Podcast Network. All of our stuff will be there. But for Ryan and for Philip, I am Ethan. This is In the Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.